Welcome to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Luisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter. Kia ora, listeners. Today, I'm here with Kelly Sheehan. Kia ora, Kelly. Kia ora, Karen. Kelly is one of the founders of Earth's End Publishing. Earth Sand specializes in New Zealand comics and graphic novels. Earth Sand is a young and as publishing companies go, but has moved beyond the toddling stage. Would you say, would you agree? Yeah, we've basically been going since 2014. Yeah. Well, that's when we started to think about putting the company together. So at five years, that's actually not only past toddling, that's already about to enter school. It is. <laughs> so this year they released their fourth book, which is Rufus Marigold by Ross Murray. So tell us some more about the origin of the Earth. Oh, sorry, I mean of Earth's end, Kelly. Well, in 2014, uh, the, there was a tour of Germany by a variety of New Zealand cartoonists, including Dylan Horrocks. And while Dylan was there, he met people who had German publishing companies that specialised in comics. And often there were people who'd started off as fans or amateur cartoonists, and he thought that there was the possibility of that in New Zealand. So when he came back, he spoke to me and he spoke to my friend Adrian Kennard, and he suggested that we put together a project like that, and we thought about it, and we thought we should include Damon Keane, who was a local cartoonist who was publishing an anthology called Faction at the time, and Damon had... Uh, design knowledge, was used to working with printers and he'd also run a uh, crowdfunding campaign to get Faction off the ground and after contacting him he said he was interested so then the next step was what we would publish and the logical thing to publish was a comic called The Dharma Punks by local cartoonist Ant Sang. It was very well known and had published it between 2001 and 2002 And when Adrian and I had been running a stall selling New Zealand comics at various uh, events, people were constantly after issues one to four, which Ant didn't have any copies of. He could only sell them six, seven, and eight. Um, Something we're used to in libraries when things are out of print and people come in asking for the the first one. Yeah. Yeah, people want to read things in order. Um, so Ant was interested in that, so we uh, planned the campaign and launched it, and it was pretty successful. We uh, raised close to $15,000. So that was with Kickstarter? That yeah. was with Kickstarter, yeah. There was a big discussion about whether it would be Pledge Me or Kickstarter at the start, and it was one of it was the first of very many long conversations about things that we had differing opinions about. Well, it's good there were three of you, though, because well, <laughs> just actually, two. <laughs> it was difficult because Ant was also a voting oh, right. partner, so often we would have two and two, and then we'd have to go back and have more conversation. So that was quite successful. Um, we put the book out, and we made enough to publish the next book, um, which was a re-release of a New Zealand classic, Terry Teo and the Gunrunners. And that led to our next book, Moa, another children's graphic novel, and then Rufus Marigold. So each project's paid for the next project along the line. This almost sounds like you did it on purpose. 
Hopefully you did. Yeah, that we did. Just, that, yeah, was that, was, that was always <laughs> it was always the plan. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, also because it's really the other thing I was saying about you know disagreements, working through them. Out of that kind of friction, often come the best new ideas. And at least you didn't have that. If I understand correctly, you didn't have the one guy with the deep pockets who then got to make the final call because. Yeah, that was you know, definitely the case. I mean, the I think the long conversations took part took place because we all had very strong opinions um and also we had different areas of expertise so we'd use that to decide things and sometimes after you talk about these things for a long time there's just a breakthrough moment and, and that's what would happen when we'd suddenly look at it from a different perspective. Yeah, and also, um, I think none of you were hired guns. You were all there for the passion, for the, for, you know. Yeah, nobody gets any money, <laughs> except for the cartoonist, which is relatively rare in New Zealand. It's not a lot, but people do have paydays from us, which is quite a rewarding feeling when, yeah. when we hit the send button. Definitely sleep better at night. I think that's well well said and, and well pointed out. Um, so, yeah, so you were speaking that's um, about the different areas of knowledge. So you had some marketing experience. It's not so much marketing. Before I started to work in libraries, I'd worked in bookshops. I'd worked for both units so and should books. I, should I have said selling? <laughs> yeah, selling's yeah. important. and yeah. helps you see the, the bookseller's perspective. Um, I'd worked for Unity Books. I'd worked at Time Out Books in Mount Eden. I'd worked at various comic shops. Then I'd worked at the libraries. Um, I'd also worked for a book distributor, uh, Archetype, who at the time were, had uh, Alan and Unwin as one of their clients, pre-Harry Potter, because um, ANU distributed Bloomsbury. Um, and I'd also done a communications degree, which meant I had some idea about how to engage with media so those were important skills and experience. Uh, Adrian had worked at Whitcalls and he was also working on his history of New Zealand comic from Earth's End. Uh, so he had knowledge of working with a publisher. And Damon, as I said, was both a designer, had experience with printers and had managed a successful crowdfunding um, campaign. Yeah, that's, um, I should have said when you just described your long experience, my compliments, um, that when I said marketing, I didn't really mean in the sense of creating a brand as much as I meant. All those things that you said re-entered into what, I'm, what I was thinking. It was more about, you know, get, getting the thing in front of the public and how to make it attractive and something that appeals to people and interests them. And when you're doing that, you're inadvertently creating a brand. So yeah. even if you don't go ahead with that idea in mind, it's going to happen. And I kind of had that realisation last year when somebody sent me a comic proposal that I really liked and I looked at it and I thought, this is great, but I can't sell it. It's not something that booksellers would associate with us. I don't know if they would know how to sell it. I don't know how I'd market it. I don't know how I'd set up interviews. And so I had to say no to it, even though I thought it was a great piece of work. Yeah, that is always, they say, the hardest thing um, when you provide a service like that where people come to you and it's not about, um, well, I suppose anybody who's passionate about any product, even if it's athletic shoes, but I tend to think because I'm a reading and writing type of person. And you can see that it is a good thing, but you sometimes have to say no because otherwise you can't keep going with the work that you're doing. Yeah, and the thing that I realize is, is that everything that we published basically has quite a New Zealand flavor. 
I mean, the Dharma Punks was very much set in Auckland in the 90s. Grafton Bridge is a character in it, and Sang would say. Terry Teo is perhaps the first New Zealand graphic novel. Um, then Moa is set in colonial New Zealand. And Rufus is a little bit of an exception to the rule, except the tone of it and its deadpan nature very much feels like Kiwi humour. Mm. The office, thinking particularly about the scenes in the office. Um, well, that's more to do with the kind of the very black nature of the humour, yeah. I think. And so don't go, don't go into Rufus yet because we haven't even really introduced it. So nobody, unless there's listeners who are listening because they've already read it, which is totally possible. So um, let's talk about Rufus, the graphic novel that you think of as a person, was the tagline that I remember. <laughs> well, I, I found that. It, it was like every time we talk about it, we don't talk about Rufus Marigold. We talk about Rufus. And it's the book, but it's the character. And he's he ingratiates himself so much to you that you feel like he is a real person. Absolutely, I agree. So um, tell, let's start with Ross Murray then. So Ross is a cartoonist that lives and works in Mount Monganui. He's also a commercial illustrator. He's worked for Lonely Planet, Rolling Stone. Uh, he took part in a McDonald's summer cam- campaign a couple of years ago. So people might know his work without even realising it. Ross had had initial contact with Damon Keane, who'd done Faction and was part of Earthsend. And Damon had seen Ross's work online and approached him and asked him if he was interested in contributing to Faction, uh, which Ross ultimately did with Damon's um, climate crisis comic High Water. And then we asked him if he had anything else that he was interested in doing. And he did, and he told us about Rufus. He wanted to do it as a web comic, which we thought was a good idea. And so we supported him with a Creative New Zealand application, and that was successful. And then when that was completed, we decided we did want to do a collected version of it. So Ross again applied to Creative New Zealand, and again they supported him to do additional work for a collected version. And I think the f- web comic of Rufus had ten parts to it, Ross ended up doing an additional 14 parts and then we applied to Creative New Zealand and they gave us some publishing support. That was our first successful application. So, um, a shout out to Creative New Zealand. You, you picked a winner. <laughs> um, so, we've got a copy of Rufus Marigold sitting on the table here. And um, Rufus, in the, in the, um, on the cover, is a chimp wearing a white shirt and a red tie. And um, what does that relate to? Well, what is that telling us about Rufus? <laughs> in the book. Rufus suffers from social anxiety disorder and if you were to talk to Ross about it, Ross would say that that uh, disorder is related to very primal feelings um, that were appropriate when we were on the Sahara and we were being chased by lions but they don't work so well in the day of social media and working in an office and commuting. We're in an open plan office. In an open plan office. <laughs> Where everything has become the water cooler. Because, <laughs> you know, in the old days, there was only when you went to the water cooler. Now in our open plan offices, it's water cooler all day long. <laughs> it is. So, um, and, and Ross suffers from, have we said, social anxiety. Yeah, Ross, yeah. and is the inspiration for the book. Yeah. Um, in the present day, it doesn't nearly affect him as much as it used to. He's been able to treat it with um, medication. Uh, and I believe seeing a counsellor as well. 
And doing Rufus has really helped him as well because it's opened him up to the realisation that he's not the only person that suffers from that particular disorder. Which is possibly another side. Sorry, I just spoke over you, but just um, talking about the fact that he's designed as a chimp. We should say to people who haven't read yet that the other people in the office are designed as regular human beings. For the most part. For the most part. Yeah, there there are a couple. But it's, it's, um, to me, that immediately spoke of that feeling where you feel the odd man out and you feel like everyone's looking at you and not seeing what you would like them to see. Yeah. Without giving anything away, at the close of the book... um, Rufus ends up talking with a surveyor and he identifies himself as other uh, with his ethnicity and that was definitely designed or something that we had conversations about. Um, Ross would say that Rufus is emotionally autobiographical, though he perhaps himself didn't get involved in some of the stuff that Rufus does but it represents how he felt at a particular Mm -hmm. time in his life. Yeah, that's really interesting because I went to see Alexander Chi at the Writers' Festival and he was was talking about a a novel that he'd written about uh, trauma, about suffering trauma, in his case, um, abuse as a child. And he said that people kept asking him why he didn't write an autobiography totally autobiographic a memoir um, that, you know, following this story to tell this story. And he said, sometimes it doesn't fit in the boxes of actually what happened to you to communicate the feeling and the truth of what happened. You actually need to create a slightly different situation, which communicates it better. Yeah, yeah. I think Rufus definitely represents a heightened version of Ross's experience. Um, but at a baseline, it resonates it's interesting. He, he wrote it for other people um, who suffer from anxiety and specifically social anxiety disorder. And they do have a very personal response to it. Um, it's very intense, you get the feeling. Yeah, I thought one one could say for people who suffer from social anxiety and people who are close to someone who suffers from social anxiety because I don't suffer from social anxiety particularly, but there were scenes in there that I totally identified with. Only I wouldn't have had quite a strong reaction, but inside me. But also people I know who do, it was an insight into some of their behavior that was puzzling to me from seeing it from the outside. I think it definitely works both ways. I strongly empathize with the scenes with Rufus and the telephone. I hate talking on the phone. It's not a comfortable or pleasant experience for me. I don't like it when it rings and what are they going to want from me? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's the, the, the primal response or, or, or what now. Um, but, yeah, it definitely helped with my empathy with the character and it really opened my eyes as to how these things work. It's um, really well done also in terms of empathy because there's humour, which, of course, always is an immediate path. It's, um, you know, on the one hand, the very heartbreaking uh, in, What's the word? Insights, and yet at the same time, humor, which is allowing you to open yourself up to that insight, which is heartbreaking. Do you think? I think so, and it's to some extent it's taboo pushing humor as well. There's things in there that will make people uncomfortable. The webcomic of Rufus is largely full of punchlines and humor. There's some exceptions to that. But when it came to the book, we encouraged Ross to think about that he didn't just have to have a laugh line at the end of every chapter. He could also 
have poignancy or sadness, whatever he thought was appropriate. And I think he was thinking in that direction anyway. Well, that's a really good point because when you're reading it through as a book, because um, you talked about the very the ending, didn't you? And that was added when you turned the webcomic into a book? Was the ending yeah, reinforced? Yeah. And, the, and, the book and is basically deeper. the first half of it is the webcomic. And yeah. There's a little bit of shuffling of episodes, but first half web webcomic, second half new material. Yeah. So basically, in turning it into a book, I hate people say basically. <laughs> we'll go forward. Um, in turning it into a book, um, the the comics that had to sort of be standalone until the next one came along could, in the book, be read straight through. So you could have a chapter that ended on a down point and a pause, and then move on to the next chapter. But then the end became stronger, was strengthened. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Def- they were definitely designed I think to become self-contained but they combine to make a greater whole and you can see the progression that Rufus goes through um, the back of the book the blurb that Ross wrote it describes Rufus as seeking to be defined as something other than a complete and utter social nervous wreck yeah, that's, um, it touches on the other aspect that we didn't mention of social anxiety, which is the self-loathing, which is really well depicted in that, um, oh my God, did I just say what I thought I said? <laughs> and then, and just wanted to kill yourself that, you know, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, well, I, I have you here because I think it's a wonderful book and I want everyone to find out about it. So let's talk about the production of it. What was that like? So that was interesting. Um, we had to decide what, what size and shape it would be. The way Ross had designed it for the screen meant that we had options. We, as it is, it's probably just over 200 pages, I think, four panels per page. Um, but we could have blown it up so that it was 12 panels per page. Uh, and so that really did involve some conversation. Um, we for the want, two reasons being compared, comparing 4 to 12? Well, shops probably have a preference for things to be a particular size. Um, it's all very well when it's new and it fits onto the display table, but after that, it's if you're lucky, it's going to go onto the shelf and it's going to be a perennial seller. So that's a consideration. I guess there's, if it was bigger, people would be inclined to think of it as a children's book. Uh, and it particularly in being a comic means that there might have been some awkward moments for shops and consumers if that was the case. Um, we also wanted something that people felt like they were getting value for money. Uh, it's $35 and you want to be able to look at that and feel like uh, it's a worthwhile purchase. Mm, but there's a sort of a preciousness also to holding it in your hand because this is the thing we always say about books. You know, there's the content that you're reading but there's also just the the physical pleasure mm. of, uh, and it's got this lovely um, very soft you know whatever uh, what is that that does that to some covers of, of paperbacks where they're so smooth you'd probably have to ask Damon or Ross about that <laughs> I don't know what the exact answer is I suspect it's just the the card type that we, yeah. we talk um though the the title is kind of embossed in a nice sort of way. Yeah, yeah, it's got the embossing and it's also got the, um, it's, I love this term, the French flaps. Let's, let's tell people what French flaps are. So French flaps are the end pieces on a cover that, that fold inwards and usually have uh, information about the contents of the book on the inside front cover and on the back there's usually a, 
a snazzy looking photo of the author that you wouldn't recognize them as looking like in real life yeah not sometimes posing with a dog but not always (laughs) (laughs) But um, so they're kind of like when you have a paper cover, a dust jacket on a hardcover book, those things that you're describing are written on the folds of the paper, whereas in this case, it's actually written on the cover, which folds itself in, isn't it? Yeah. And and it's lovely. I find such pleasure in that. It's not used that often, is it? But it's so nice. Well, we ended up with it because Ross had initially wanted it to be a hardcover book. And personally, I'm always reticent about that it makes it heavier it makes it more expensive uh damon and adrian usually want it to be like that because at heart we're all comics geeks and that's seen as an aspirational thing i think in comics that you have a hardback version of something on your bookshelf but in the end it didn't really make financial sense uh, especially with regard to how many copies we were printing up so we offered Ross the French flaps uh, in lieu of the hardcover, and then there were many long conversations about what was going to go on to those. Um, and eventually we came up with the idea that we would try to summarise the contents of Rufus from selected panels on the inside and put those on, the ins- on those French flaps. Oh, yeah, I can see that, yeah, yeah. And then when you um, you can go from the front to the back and it's just four sort of um, flashes of, of what you'll be getting inside as compared to the one that says, Jane was always wanted to leave her husband, but it was only when her son said da-da-da and it gives you that little hyped blurb. It's I particularly just- like the final image on the front inside back cover. I think it, it kind of... That's it sums beautiful. things up quite nicely yeah, about the so character. I'm checking it out right now. So um, this is Rufus uh, close up. Uh, uh, the um, what do you call that? First, what do you call that in a movie when you when it's the closest thing to the front, the forefront? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there must be some name for that. Anyway, close up of Rufus, and he's actually looking into the distance, and his hand is casting shadow on his face. Yes, he looks out onto a, a new dawn. As he looks out into a new dawn, see, you put that in. It's not in the. <laughs> it's not in the panel, but that's really great. Um, yeah, and that goes back to casting shade, which is a term that I've had, I'm embarrassed to say I only picked up recently, which is a very um, handy term. Do you know about casting shade? Yeah, I re- heard about it on a podcast recently. Yeah, did you hear about Nancy Pelosi possibly doing it to Trump? That was <laughs> that was where I learned. Well, it was about in it. relation to Paris's burning. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> So um, let's talk about, um, we've still got some time to get into this. So the book design, you're learning all the time, right? We can say. I think I think I tend to take a step back on that. I've got opinions about it. Yeah, I meant you, plural you. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, All of us together, for sure. One of the things that I've learned in the time that we've been doing it is that I can't be right all of the time. And I do need to step back and let other people make decisions. And it seems to go against my natural inclinations, but it's a necessity if you want to keep working with people. Yeah, that's a really good point. But it goes back to that thing of actually it's a privilege. It's more work, but it's also a privilege to be working with people who aren't afraid to have different opinions and who do share their expertise. It goes back to being a very small company made up of people who've gotten together for a shared passion, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you learn after a while that you're not right. Yeah. All of the time. And, and that, that other person is an, a very integral part of what what you do, that we're a collective, we're not individuals. 
Yeah, this is um, related. So when I said, <laughs> so and let's talk about. So what I was already thinking, I was saying. So that's the design, which is interesting, especially in that sense of the progression. But um, also in terms of the group of people that you are, you're a uh, microcosm of New Zealand of a, of another small group of people who are cartoonists in New Zealand. A sort of a well, we're kind of a. Would you, well, well, you don't like microcosm? Well, well, given that we're all kind of straight, white, middle-class guys, that's a little bit not quite the case. It's, uh, but comics in general are a weird microcosm of society. There's, there's all the, the tensions and the, the battles that take place in greater society. And there's also weird things tied up with it, like economics, um, I learned about why you shouldn't invest in worthless worthless stock bonds from working in a comic shop and seeing people invest, he says with air quotes, in comics that they thought would be valuable later on, which was not the case, and people losing money because of that. It, it's, a, it's a weird thing to equate comics with the stock market, but it holds up for me. Yeah, um, you're, you're very right to call me out on microcosm. I didn't mean in the sense of being a representative cross-section. Um, what I meant was just as you work closely together and um, weigh both the practical and the intellectual or, or creative, let's say not intellectual, the practical and the creative, so does everyone who works, who is a comics creator in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, they do. Um we're working on a slightly larger scale in terms of the fact that we have bigger budgets and we've got uh, more established networks and things. But, yeah, some of the things that you learn as a comics creator go into running a company, running a publishing company. So you've been talking about comics. Um, I remember a conversation I had with you once about comics and you said it's a sort of an outsider, a pursuit for outsiders. Do you remember that? Am I quoting you correctly? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it is. I think it, a better way of putting it in re, on reflection is that it's a... I think it offers... Comics offer a unique platform for people with distinct visions to get them across. Well, that's really well said. Well done. They're relatively inexpensive to put together. Um, They don't have people who are acting as gatekeepers, uh, though some people might say that EarthSend's a gatekeeper. I don't agree with that, but we've got different decisions that we have to make as publishers. So somebody can sit down and they can produce a comic and as long as they've got access to a photocopier, then they can share that vision. Mm. Or online also. Or online. Yeah. And um, comics online has changed the, the the landscape of the comics world hugely. It's incalculable what a difference that, that that's made to that world. It's opened it up to so many people uh, in ways that I really struggle to understand. It's such a big change. Mm. You said also that um, that uh, comics creators tend to be people who um, work in a solitary manner. Um, I actually thought a lot about that because um, I was thinking, well, all writers talk about that, how horrible it is to have to lock yourself in the room and get your word count done for the day. But I was thinking perhaps um, what it relates to, I am right, aren't I, that you had a tie yeah. there with yeah. solitary and comics. Sure. That 
Possibly because um, when you're writing just text, you get descriptive. You have to describe and also punctuate with the dialogue. Whereas when you're doing a comics, the design is the description. So you actually really have to get to the essential. The text is much more essential. It's much more... Well, text and image, it's like that's a big topic in, in comics. But in terms of getting back to the individual creating in the room by themselves... Um, because comics up until relatively recently have been like a minority interest, uh, it meant that people would produce these things and then the people that would actually share it with them were relatively small. But that's beginning to change and I, to be honest, I have mixed feelings about that. And about Earthsend contribution to that? Yeah, and Earthsend's contribution to that, making it... Uh, more of a commercial as well as an artistic um, endeavour. It's a fascinating topic and um, I wish we could go on and talk about it more so. Kelly, you're just going to have to come back. I'd love to, Karen. Oh, that would be wonderful. So in the meantime, it's Rufus Marigold and it's available in all good bookstores. It is. And from your website. And from our website and comic shops as well. Which is www.earthsend.co.nz. You heard it from Kelly Sheehan. Kakiteano, uh, everyone. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, Kelly. brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day.